The teacher of wisdom who wrote Ecclesiastes sees that working for mere accumulation of wealth turns life into an empty game, a vanity of vanities. Nevertheless, he asserts in the next verse, it is good to find enjoyment in one's work because such enjoyment is a gift from God. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat uh, or who can have enjoyment. Um, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who, God, who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Life in Christ includes a radical reorientation of our values. Just as the newly baptized shed their old clothes in order to put on new garments, so Christians are called to let go of greed and take hold of a life shaped by God's love in Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but in Christ is all and in all. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist 
in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The gospel of our Lord. So since I was nervous, I turned to some commentaries in some places that would maybe give me some wisdom that was beyond myself so I would get the best information, the best things to bring to my friends. So one of the books I had seen was called Preaching Luke's Gospel. It's a work that goes through the book of Luke. Richard Jensen is the man of the name who wrote this book. And he, he, when he looked at this chapter, he offered this wisdom to all those who were reading his book, the following words, when we got to this particular lesson. He said this, This week's text and the verses that follow it are downright un-American. What are we to do? We can avoid the hard work, the counter-cultural word. Doing so, however, is an outright betrayal of Luke's portrait of Jesus. We can preach on the topic head on and make it our own and give it all the gusto we have. In this approach, we, we risk alienating people not only from Jesus, but from us. The best approach might be to tell the story as it is. Put the hard words where they belong, on the lips of Jesus. The words do not need our explanation. They are already crystal clear. Let the Bible speak for itself. You then pray that the Holy Spirit apply this word to the manifold need of human hearts. End of quote. Jensen's thoughts, wise and true. The word of God is true, and today's lesson does not need much explanation. I could simply read the lesson again, pause, let it sink into your minds and your hearts, say amen, and sit down. I was thinking about doing that, <laughs> and someone said, now, Fashi, you might need to do more than that. So God help us, here's what comes next. Grandma pulled out her game. It was a Monopoly game. She spreads it out on the dining room table. She invites her son Eric to come and sit down and play this game of Monopoly with her. Now, Grandma, she was a killer Monopoly player. She rolled those dice, started whipping around that board, buying up all the properties she needed to buy up. And, and in no time at all, her grandson is being slammed with the expenses. She's making money. He's paying out more money. And within a very short period of time, her grandson, he is bankrupt. Boom, game over. Eric asked after this game, he says, Grandma, can we, I like rematch, can we play again? No, not for a while, she said. You first need to learn how to play the game of Monopoly. Fair enough. 
Well, that, this is the little Eric. He was motivated. He went home and he persuaded mom and dad to buy for themselves the game of Monopoly. He asked his dad to read the explanations and all the instructions and explain the, the game and the strategies of the game. And he was learning from his dad. Then he began to play it just himself in the room. He had all the pieces out and he would pretend to be different players and how he would move around. And he was gaining a mastering and understanding of this game of Monopoly. In time, he would play his older sisters. They were good. And he beat them. And then he was ready to take it out to his friends and the world around him. And he started beating all of his friends. He knew the goals again. He knew the methods, the maneuvers of Monopoly, backwards and forward, the acquisitions, the sales and everything. He was a Monopoly king. So he picked up the phone. Grandma, are you ready? Ready for what? It had been a while, right? She'd forgotten. Ready to play Monopoly. I'm ready. All right, sure, come on over. So sometimes you get right over to Grandma's house. Out comes the Monopoly board, his board, shiny and new. He rolls the dice. They both roll the dice. They're tearing around the board, buying up everything. They're both getting property and massing things, charging each other. But then the roll of the dice, as luck has it, luck has it that now the roll of the dice started favoring young Eric. And Grandma landed on his property and had to pay. And he bought more. And Grandma had to sell her stuff. And he bought more. And he kept, she kept landing on his stuff. And he kept amassing her wealth. He's buying the properties one after another, advantage after another. And within about two hours, Grandma has bit the dust. She is bankrupt. Wow, he feels good. He kicked it. Grandma's toast. Monopoly history. Oh, he felt good. Well, Grandma congratulated him. She was genuinely proud of how he'd learned this game. All the hard work and the practice that he had applied to master this game of Monopoly. She leaned over, gave him a great big old hug, and said, Now, Eric, you've got to learn the toughest part of this game. Well, Eric was ready. He's the master. He's proven his mastery. He's ascending the ranks. All right, what's the hardest part? I've got this. He's all wide-eyed and eager and everything, right? So Grandma says, he says, well, what is it? What's the toughest part? And Grandma says, the toughest part, the hardest part of this life lesson in this game of Monopoly, and it's a lesson that it needs to be learned by everybody. She says, when the game is over, it all gets put back in the box. Did you hear that? When the game's over, it all goes back in the box. That's life. We run around playing this life of ours like a Monopoly game. We're busy making grades and acquiring grades and, and then getting stuff and then getting relationships with other people. We're monopolizing. We're just gathering and collecting and using and, and cooking meals and paying bills and having children and making houses and being in retirement things and all these symbols and things of respect and success and adoration and appreciation. We just amass this stuff. And all the while, we're forgetting the important lesson of the game that when this life is over, all goes back to the box. In fact, the day will come when we ourselves go into a box. Six people will carry us in the box that contains us, what's left of us, from the mortuary, from the funeral place, inside of a sanctuary, 
carry us in, set us down, remember us for a time, six people carrying us in our box to the graveside, sink us into the dirt. Then they will come back to the church, eat their pimento cheese sandwiches, <laughs> eat their chips, maybe ponder how they're going to use our stuff. Well, there was a man who was not really concerned with the needs of his brother. He was concerned with his own monopoly game, his own conquest in acquiring the stuff. He's nameless in the parable. It's actually before the parable. He's part of the crowd. He's a nameless person, nameless faces. And he comes from the crowd, and Jesus' answer to the crowd is not reflected just to him. His answer is to the entire crowd. So when we read this lesson today about this young person who comes before Jesus, it's just not him, and it's just not that crowd. It's actually each one of us. This parable, though said to him, was said to everybody that day and everybody since that day. This man in the crowd wants Jesus to make his brother give him his brother's stuff. He's not thinking about his brother's wants or needs. He's just thinking about his. Maybe it was fair, maybe it wasn't. All we know is he's approaching Jesus because he wants something that he doesn't now have. And to that man, Jesus gives this parable. Jesus says, there was a man who thought he had what it took to be happy, and he had gathered it, and he had gathered in great abundance. He played the world's game well. He bought the right property. He worked the property with his God-given intellect, his God-given skills, and all of God's blessings upon that crops to grow year in, year out, to amass more and more wealth, to get bigger and bigger barns. And at one point, he had it all because he'd used his strength and his skills and the blessings that God had put before him in this land and nature's and the harvest to have massive wealth. The property produced an abundance, and now he was rich. Now, Jesus doesn't say that he did anything wrong to get his riches. We can imagine him to be a hardworking person and a smartworking person. And there's nothing that Jesus says is wrong with that. Tremendous good can and has been done by the intelligently blessed and the hardworking blessed and those that just had fortune in this world blessed to be used to help people and to promote the church and the work of the church to share the gospel. So then Jesus speaks to them, it might be the problem. He reveals that this man, he doesn't have an abundance problem. He has a heart problem. The world's game of monopoly has corrupted this successful, rich person. His heart and his sinful nature in his heart is now being revealed. I want you to listen to the words. I just picked out a couple of sentences, but listen to the pronouns. You ready? I will tell, tear down my barns to build bigger ones. There I will store up my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. A whole lot of inward turn, me, I, mine, self-focused. Exposures now of his thoughts and his motives are revealing that that's what he is. He's focused on himself. He's become numb and oblivious and detached from the blessings that God has given him. He's forgotten that everything he is and everything he has and all the stuff around him, people and stuff, they are all gifts and love gifts from their God to him. He's forgotten that. And in addition to that, he's blind to the relationships of people around him who might have need. And he has abundance, but he doesn't even see it anymore. His heart is off and he's being exposed. 
my barns, I stuff, my stuff. And to that person, Jesus said some hard words. He says to this person, you fool. This night, your life will be demanded of you. And all this stuff, all the people you tried to possess and occupy, all the land you possess and occupy, all the storage of your grains and your wealth and your money and all the stuff that you've amassed and adored and stored, whose will it be? At this point in the gospel lesson, everybody is presented with that question. It is a moment that is very important, and it's a question very important for us who are surrounded by a creation and a world that is always drawing us to worship it and to hunger and thirst and have appetite, lusts, and passions for it. More for all of that stuff than God himself who loves us in perfection. And so to us, Jesus presents a question. If your body, if my body, dies between now and tomorrow morning, what treasure do we have going forward? Be sure, again, remind us that we do go forward. The part of us that's alive, while our bodies go back to the dirt, we're alive, and we go back, we go someplace. So now as you go forward, what treasure do you go with? <laughs> In other words, what in this life is worth saving? What in this life is worth saving? The fool, the man who is lost in the vanity and the consumption and the distractions of this world, he's in one place. That is directly being contrasted by Jesus, the Son of God himself. Because Jesus' answer to us is unique and it's powerful. And he doesn't say it with his words. He says it with his very life. He says in this, God has built this big universe and I was there when it was born. I was there the day that the sun broke forth and the earth was formed. I was there the day when the tides stopped at the earth and said this far and no farther. I was there when life came to the oceans and life came to there. And I came to this earth not to acquire any of that stuff. I didn't come here to amass things and control peoples, to master material possessions. That's not what Jesus came for. Jesus did not shed his sweat and his blood or his tears for objects that will satisfy his personal lusts and his addictions and his appetites. Jesus came and did all that he did, not for the stuff, but for us, for you personally and individually, for me, individually, we these children, these individuals, we are the treasure that's worth living for and we are the treasure that is worth dying for and we are the treasure that is worth saving. To answer that question, what in this life is worth saving? We are worth saving. So to us, Jesus came saving, paying the price on a cross to buy us out of this place we've sold ourselves into and providing a personal living example of what a blessed and truly holy living life is like. As you remember Jesus, he didn't have a house. 
He might have had a pair of sandals and one set of clothes. That's it. That's stuff. Other than that, he had his friends and his family. Us, the beloved. The question, children of God, what is worth saving in this life? Jesus says, you are. And today he has us consider hearing that to be true. That you are worth saving. And he does so. And in addition to that, the people that aren't in here today, the ones who are just busy with all the distractions and the consumptions and the lusts and the appetites of the world that are out there making sure that they're fit and they're sunny and they're fish and all the stuff that's out there, we got to get them home so they can hear this truth. Yes, enjoy that, but God first. That stuff comes second. That stuff's not criticized. It's the order of which it's loved, which is criticized. And they got to hear the truth so they can move from, free, from slavery to freedom. The answer in the gospel lesson, Jesus says, what is worth saving? Us and the people around us. Everything else goes back into the box. God help us to know Jesus. God help us to know this one who taught us heaven's way. God help us to help others know this Jesus so they can know this path to true life as well. Amen. Do you believe in God the Father? And you'll say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your good gifts home and family, food and clothing. We confess our deep daily dependence on you. We ask that you don't give us everything we want because we frequently want in error or want too much. We ask that you give us what we need and those things that you know are good for us. Lord, in your mercy, our prayer. Our prayer. Father, you also give us opportunity to feed those who have no bread in a world in which there is more than enough. Lead your church in paths of service for those who are poor and hungry. Help us feed them and raise them to self-sufficiency. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we pray for the leaders of our nation and of all the nations of the world, that they may know your holy will and lead according to your holy will. Watch over our troops and workers overseas. Guard innocent people in harm's ways. Bring an end to war and terrorism. Establish your kingdom, your joy, your hope, and your peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We thank you for celebrations, birthdays, and anniversaries. And comfort those who grieve. Bring hope and healing to those who are ill, especially those we name in our hearts now.
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Heavenly Father, help your church be a beautiful reflection of you and your kingdom. Empower us to pray with persistence. Empower us to live in holiness and to trust you completely. Into your hands we commend ourselves and all we pray. We boldly approach you in prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.